0: Welcome to Northeast Christian Fellowship's weekly message series, and now here is special guest speaker Mark South. Oh man, it is—it's good to be here. Thank you for having me out. Um, My first time to Benicia, I I feel like I'm in Braveheart, Um, and so this is really good, real, real bold. I should have just a big sword. Um, That's how, and I do. I have this big sword right here. but uh, I, I just, first, I just want to begin by saying thank you. Thank you to Ken, to Brian. Brian, I go way back to like sixth grade, fifth grade, fourth grade. We used to hang out together way back down south. Good guy, and um, it's great to be back. And I, I just, I'm a firm believer Um, that this needs to happen a lot more, where um, collaboratively churches come together and talk about what does it look like to be on mission together for the gospel, and so in the city in in Rockland, where I'm from, um, we're we're seeing that happen. I've been invited to a bunch of churches, and I'm just really grateful um, that That another pastor can come and we can just share together the mission that God has for us. So, thank you very much for letting me be here. Thank you, Ken, for sharing your space. This is a big deal, and I just want you to know I'm very, very grateful. Um, A little bit about me Uh, I'm very simple I'm a Christ follower first, I'm a husband. Um, I married my uh, elementary sweetheart. Uh, I met her in sixth grade and fell in love instantly. And um, it has just been amazing. We've been married 11 years now, and unlike the video here, um, I don't have two daughters. I actually have one, and I have three boys. Um, so that wasn't great reporting. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so um, so I'm I'm a husband, and I love my wife, and she's amazing. She is. Um, I wish she could be here, and you could meet her, and, and she, everything that I am is large part to her love and support and, and cause I'm crazy. So, um, I mean, and then, then thirdly, I'm a, I'm a father. Like I said, I have a seven year old girl, a four year old boy and two two year old twin boys. And, uh, so my house is essentially, um, gauged by spills. So you're just like, okay, what is spilled today? What liquid or, bodily fluid is, um, is all over the floor. I mean, three boys, it's just everywhere. So um, it's like having a dog. Um, it just happens, right? And then thirdly, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a, that's just what God has called me to do after those three things. I'm, I'm a crazy pastor. I'm a church planter, and uh, for 12 years, I pastored in Long Beach, California. I grew up in that area. For 30 years, I was there. In the last three years, God moved me up to NorCal. I got to see trees for the first time. And, uh, and I'm in Rockland, and it's just by God's grace I'm there. And a little, a little group of people who study the Bible together in my living room grew into this gathering of people where um, we become church. We've become church for a lot of people who just hate church. And we're seeing the gospel transform people's lives in huge ways. And then on top of that, in just a couple of years now, we've launched this coffee house. That's a part of our, uh, just the mission to the city and to the world. And I'm going to get there, but I, that's a little bit about me. And then fifth, I love bacon. <laughs> that's, that's my priority. Christ, <laughs> husband, father, bacon, pastor, bacon. I can't. Yeah, I shouldn't. Sometimes I feel like I love bacon more than pastoring. Um, <laughs> sizzling is much better than complaining. All right. Um, I can go all day. All right. Um, open up to Mark um, chapter five. In fact, just to kind of give you a heads up and um, in, in just almost the last song, I threw everything away that I had planned to do. And I'm going to do this instead, um, because I just think the spirit wants me to go here. So um, pray with me, and then we'll open this up, and and we'll kind of see what happens. God, you're so good. And it's not by accident that any of us woke up. And we know it's not by accident because none of us controls whether we wake up. God, your your grace is upon us this very moment, regardless of of whatever affliction you have provided or given or, or leading us through. God, your grace is on us. And so, Lord, if if anything happens this morning and if we walk out of here, it's only by grace and not because we're good or because we have power or authority, but only because you hold our life and you hold our way. And so, Lord, I pray, God, just bring what you're going to bring here this morning through your word, God, and may from now, from today, not only would coffee sell or whatever that means, but just our lives would be transformed more for the sake of the gospel, by you, for you, and to you. We pray in your name, amen. Mark um, chapter six, I, I just want you to know real quick, because I, I just, I feel like I need to, um, this, this Bible's massive, and um, I usually don't teach out of a Bible like this, but I was teaching somewhere last night, and I left it there. And so this is a a backup Bible. So I just don't want you to think I'm just like really holy Uh, based on this Bible. I feel like I've brought my Bible from my childhood on my coffee table (laughs) open. (laughs) Anyway, I'm like the blues kid right now. All right. Um, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Check this out. Jesus um, is the story of Jesus is doing incredible ministry as he's growing in public ministry, and this is a in chapter three through chapter six is this really incredible conflict that Jesus comes up against over and over, and I want you to see in the middle of this insane ministry season what happens in Jesus' life. So Jesus um, just healed this um, this demonized man over in Gentile territory across the Sea of Galilee, and then he he, he wanted to retreat there and get a little rest, but he couldn't. Because um, the enemy was at work. And so Jesus continues to minister, and he gets back in the boat, and he comes back over the Sea of Galilee, back into Judea area, back amongst his own people. And look what happens, verse 21 of chapter 5. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, talking about Jesus, went with him. This is essentially the scene. There is a crowd of people that have just waited for Jesus by the shore of this lake. And when he left, they had no idea whether or not he would return or when he would return. They're literally just camping out. It's like camping out for U2 tickets. They're just there. (laughs) There. Except they're waiting for Jesus and they're bringing their sick and they're hurting and they're needy and they're just waiting. And then along the shore or along the sea, they see this boat coming. You imagine this crowd is starting to get amped. Here's Jesus. He's coming back. I can't believe this. He's coming back. And then it says when Jesus came on the shore, this crowd just bum rushed him, just came upon him. And the ministry for Jesus is just continuing. And then this crazy thing happens. This guy named Jairus. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. Essentially, the synagogue was like church for the Jews. They would go every Saturday. They would worship God there. They'd be in community there. And Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue, administrator, um, almost like senior pastor, although they would never use those terms. He was in charge of the synagogue. This guy's a high dude, powerful, holy, a good man, loves God, is pious. Um, And yet, all of those people that fit in that category... They, they weren't fond of Jesus. In fact, in chapter 3, we find out when Jesus says, I'm actually Lord of the Sabbath. You want to learn about what peace is, what rest is? It's actually in me. And they were so offended, they wanted to kill him. That's the group of people that Jairus is part of. But what's happened? Jairus' daughter's gotten sick, dying, in fact. The scriptures, the, 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 the phrase that's used in here is like high fevers, kind of an unknown illness, but has taken over her body. And so what happens? He lets all that stuff fall. And what's he do? He comes, he rushes into Jesus and he falls at his feet. And what's he say? He says, "Jesus, you got to come because my little girl is dying. That phrase, my little daughter is a, f- a term of affection that only a father could have for his little girl. I mean, it's not, like just a, it's not like, oh, my daughter. It's not distant. It's not sterile. The, the scripture is just so clear, so passionate. You imagine Jairus lying on the ground. He's just going, God, Jesus, man, my, my little girl is dying. My baby is dying. That's what that phrase means. And so then Jesus says, I'll go with you. I can relate to this, and I think most of you can relate to this. I have one girl. And I remember my when my girl was born, I'm um, sitting in the hospital day one, sun coming through, and I, I pulled the shades apart and you know the tiny little hospital room and I remember holding her and she was just like this six-pound little sack of goodness. And I remember sitting on this couch, and I've just never felt something for something so wrinkly before in my life. <laughs> And I open up the Bible, and I read Psalm 139. I just tell her, this is where you're from, baby. You were knitted inside, Mama. And it's, you were knitted, made special by Jesus. And I just read this psalm to her, and I prayed over her, and I cried over her. And I'm not a big emotional kind of a guy. I just wept over my little girl. And so when I come to this story, in Jeris, and Jairus, and Jairus is like, Jesus, seriously? My little girl is dying. I can't I can imagine You just put yourself there. And then Jesus, in all of his grace, in spite of Jairus being a dude who is part of that ring of people that are anti-Jesus, Jesus Jesus so graciously says, I'll go. I'll go with you. And And then there's this story within a story. I know, it gets crazy. Look what happens. Verse 24, and a great crowd followed him. So there's still going with him. They're thronged about him. They're just all about him like he's a movie star. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I just touch even his garment, I will be made well. The, There's another story of another person who's come to Jesus in the midst of this crisis, who also had crisis, and and she's been bleeding, and she's it's a uteral bleeding, she's been bleeding for twelve years, and all that that comes with anemia and tiredness and just body aches, and she's just falling apart for 12 years, and she's gone to doctor after doctor after doctor, and it says that she's not gotten better, but she's gotten worse, and now not only she's gotten worse physically, she's gotten worse um, financially. She's impoverished. She has spent all that she had trying to find some kind of help for her, and there's been nothing, and so she's, she thinks to herself, and some people are divided whether or not she's actually a part of this community, and Capernaum, or if she's actually um, from far away, some 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 scholars say she's from far away, and she spent her very last dollars just getting to find Jesus. And you imagine there he is in this crowd, and she weaves her way through, and she just touches him. It's amazing because crisis brings us to Jesus, but it's not the crisis here. There is crisis, but you know what brings them to Jesus is their insufficiency in resources, and human effort. Jarius, powerful man, lots of money. His daughter didn't just wake up dying. She got sick and fevers and cold sweats. And what did he do? He went and got doctors just like her. Doctors couldn't help her. Doctors couldn't help. There was no remedy. She got worse and worse and worse. Now she's dying. And then you, you see this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Doctors can't help her. She's gone to all the resources and there's no other resource. And so what do they do? They just say, I got nothing left to go to. So I got to lay my pride down. I got to lay my money down. And I I just got to find Jesus because if Jesus doesn't do something, I'm screwed. And so that's what happens. This woman comes and it's not the crisis. It's the insufficiency of any kind of help. And so, look what happens. For uh, she says in verse 28, If I just even touch his garment, I will be made well. And it says, And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she fell in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, <laughs> I love this because it's Peter, actually, find out in, in the other Gospels. Uh, Peter says, Don't you see the crowd? What do you mean, who touched you? Almost like, Jesus, seriously? Uh, Who would talk to him that way? Anyway, (laughs) verse 32, and he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace be healed of your disease. This is such a fascinating thing. There's so much going on. I'm just going to make it real quick. She touches him. She wants it to be a drive-by touching and then walks away. She doesn't want to bother him. He's busy. He's in a crowd. She just like, if I could just touch him, I, I, I believe in, in what he's able to do for me. I, I believe even though I don't know him. She may have never even heard one sermon. I, I believe it. I'm going to touch him, and I, but I'm not going to bother him. But there's something deeper going on because when Jesus feels the power go from him, he stops in his track in this crowd. And he says, who touched me? He around, who touched me? And what's fascinating is in the Greek there, the words of Jesus there, it's in a feminine tense. Literally, some people teach this passage and say Jesus didn't know. No, no, the language is feminine. He's literally saying, which woman? Woman, who touched me? Because you guys, you can encounter Jesus and not encounter the face of Jesus. There's no such thing as being transformed by Jesus touching him and walking away. You actually have to look at him because here's what's happening. This woman had laid it all on the line in more ways than we would understand. Um, Not only financially, not only physically as she died, but there's this thing happening culturally is that she was impoverished in another way. She was unclean legally. If you were bleeding... As a woman, you were unclean, which means you were not fit for community, which means you couldn't get married. It means you couldn't go to synagogue. It means you couldn't be with God's people. It meant you could not touch anyone. You couldn't hug anyone. You couldn't be with anyone because you were utterly unclean. In fact, there's laws in Leviticus that talks about the uncleanliness of bleeding the way that she was bleeding. And there was was all kinds of rules. Like, for example, if this woman sat on a bench and then left, anyone else who came and sat in that same spot after her, no matter when, became unclean by default. This woman was utterly alone. She had nothing and she seeks Jesus and touches him. But she knows that in touching Jesus, she actually makes Jesus unclean, which is why ultimately she doesn't want to be known. But what does Jesus do? Who touched me? And here, here you see this conflict in her mind. Do I really trust him or am I just using him? Do I really trust him? And you know what she says? She says, knowing the truth, she came trembling and in fear and she bowed before him and she told him the whole story. She was just truthful because here's what could happen. When that, That's not a small saying. You know what she's saying? She's saying, in this crowd... I can be pulled out, exposed. I touched a rabbi as an unclean person, making them unclean. That's potentially punishable by death on the spot by stones. And so when she goes, considering everything, I can't, she's trembling, she's fearful because she has to come to Jesus and look him in the face and go, I touched you. And she had to just figure out what would happen after that. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Oh, my daughter, daughter, faith has made you well. All the while, this is going on. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, this is Jesus still speaking to the woman. Remember? Remember, there's a father in this whole mess with a dying daughter. And Jesus stops to help this woman. Who's been bleeding for 12 years, who's not technically on the point of death, needs help, but is not in urgency. Yet Jesus stops and helps her. All the while, there's this father on the verge of losing his only daughter, and who's just in anguish. And Jesus stops to help this woman. And look what happens in 35. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter's dead. Those are four amazing words. <laughs> Jairus put all his hope. And who Jesus was to heal his girl. He bowed and he, he forsook his pride and he put it all on the line. Jesus, if you could just touch my little girl. If you could just come here and do this, then, then it'll, it'll be all okay. Um, Jesus, will you do this? And then in the midst, he stops and the language is for a while. He deals with this girl. And then these four words ring out, Jairus, your daughter's dead. It's one thing. To see my girl go away to college and marry some idiot. There, it's, another, it's another thing. It's another thing to look at the book of the chapters of my life. And my girl isn't even in them. And and this is Jairus. He's like, oh man, could you imagine? Here's a father who wasn't there to watch his daughter slip away. Here's a dad and a husband who wasn't there at the last moments with his little girl alongside his wife. What was he doing? He was hunting Jesus down. Why? Because he just had this hope that Jesus could make it all okay. And what happens? Jesus does something completely different because Jairus can't control him. So his daughter dies, and look what happens. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of synagogues, "Don't fear, only believe." And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and John, the brother of James, and they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw the commotion of people weeping, it's just a cultural thing happening, wailing. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he took the child and the father, he took the child's father and the mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up. There's a powerful moment. Jairus put all his... All his cards on the table that Jesus can heal her. He had no idea that Jesus could raise her from the dead. But this most powerful thing happens right here in this story that literally Jesus comes up and says, Talitha kumi, which is his affectionist term, affection term that says, my little girl, my little daughter. My baby, wake up. And Jairus saw, even though his little faith, his faith in Jesus was so fragmented in the beginning, what he saw was the very thing that Jesus loves is what he loves. He loved his little girl. And then Jesus comes along and goes, that's my little girl too. And raises her from the dead. And then you see this most profound thing blow up in this passage that Jesus speaks of these women like fathers speak of their little girl. And in the only time in the New Testament, Jesus does the most profound thing with the unclean woman. He says, daughter. He doesn't say that to anybody else ever. He says, daughter. And then he walks into this little 12-year-old whose parents are just crushed. And he says, my little girl, my baby. I would say, my daughter's name is McKenna. I would say, Big Mac, wake up. Wake up. And you see this most profound thing that Jesus calls these women daughters. The unclean woman who had nothing to give to society, was never hugged, was never touched, was ostracized, was pushed away. And Jesus goes, you didn't make me unclean. I'm making you clean. You're my daughter. And then he goes to this little girl and he goes, Jairus, I love what you love. I love her more. In fact, she's my little girl. Talitha, kumi, wake up, baby. Wake up. And we have this, pro- we have this, we have this thing that there is, these women, men, Women are not made for you. They're made for the glory of Jesus. These are God's daughters. Jesus says, these are my girls. And then this most profound thing happens in my life. I'm like, what if, what if we looked at girls, the unclean women, hurting, needy, the young, the, 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 the least protected people in the world and we said, "Well, what if we looked at those girls like they were my own? What if I looked at those girls like they like Jesus would look at those girls?" How far would I go if I looked at these girls and said, "That's God's daughters. He loves them. He raises them from the dead. He makes them clean. And these are the least protected people in the first century and currently in the world, they're the least protected people in the world. And like we we have issues even in our own culture of men protecting God's daughters right here and right now. Like how does the men love the women of this church? How do they serve them? How do you love your wife and serve your wife as if she's God's daughter, not Yours. And then if you just pan out a little bit and go, man, four million girls, six to 16, are raped every day for money. The most selfish, evil act in the world. And we just kind of sit as if it doesn't matter, if it doesn't exist. And for me, it was like, I can't just go on because those are God's daughters. And you know what's awesome is, the answer here was not Jairus's ability, the woman's ability, it was in Jesus' ability. And Origin Coffee is a rescue effort, a recovery effort. This is what rescue and recovery looks like. These purses are made by girls, mostly under 12 who've been pulled out of sex trade and they're given resources so that they're never pulled back into it in Cambodia in a home called Saxum. This every cup of coffee, every bag of coffee is a voice that says, I love you. We're coming for you as we believe that you're more precious than the world has treated you. And that really the only one that can rescue you is Jesus. That as, as a church and as people, we are to ease all kinds of suffering, especially eternal suffering. But it means viewing the world so differently. Viewing the unclean women of the world, viewing the children of the world, and be on a mission with Jesus to rescue his daughters. <clears throat> And I would, I would invite you to participate in this and I would also invite you to, to, to check and so how are you treating the daughters around you? Because we can't fight this globally until we fight this locally. And then we're just like, how far would I go? What would I do? What would I lay down so that girls may know Jesus is for them. And every girl we rescue points to a rescuer. Every redeeming act that we do points to a redeemer. And so then that's why the church must, must serve and live and do justice in the world so that we can point to a redeemer who's made us just in him. So I invite you, do this. I mean, buy all this. That's awesome. But check check your heart and your motives and see, man, these are God's daughters and they're only saved because Jesus raises the dead and because Jesus loves them like his own. And then you see the mission of our church. So let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are. May whatever I've said, Lord, may, may, may it may it just hide so Lord you may be seen more fully thank you for this passage thank you for Jairus and his fragmented faith for this woman who laid it all down and Lord thank you Jesus that in this beautiful little text you point to women who are your daughters and Lord um, as a culture God we've not done a great job loving and serving the women Lord around us so help us do that well locally And help us do that globally. And, and not do it because in doing it, we do anything. But in doing it, we point to what you've done in us. And that you do want to bring a kingdom of justice in the world. And so thank you, Lord, for this morning and who you are. In your name, amen.